This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, movie lovers, back for another Anatomy of Movie. We're dissecting a wrinkle in time. That's right, and we have two success stories to talk about, so stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. We have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. We have Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. And I'm Phil Svitek. And a couple things right off the bat. First off, uh, if you're just joining us for the very first time, then you should, number one, note that we are spoiler-filled, so we assume that you've seen the movie. Second, you can always get our rundown in the description box. It's a PDF that will be included for your benefit, so you can follow along as we talk about these various things. And... The third, just have fun and comment and share along with us, even if you have differing opinions. And in fact, hopefully you do. We'll see uh, for a movie like this. Usually, as I always do, I kick it to Marissa for overall thoughts. But I'm going to start today. <laughs> I'm going to start. I'm going to make things a little bit differently. So Etiquette marriage out the window. He wants it out there. He wants just it to be there. the first one. That's right. That's right. I want to. I want to set my tone because it's not a good tone and then hopefully we'll get back to the good i said there were two success stories the number one being that uh, a female black director got to direct a hundred million dollar movie congratulations i'm all for it i think it's fantastic now you also get another recognition you get to be panned by critics no different than any other white director who made a shit movie and that's what I'm going to do. Or any other race director, for that matter. Like, exactly. You know, you Ridley Scott. <laughs> Ridley Scott. How many crap movies have we alone on this series talked about? The man's 80, 80 years old, right? 100. He's, he's done so many movies. We've loved a lot of them. A lot of them have sucked. Okay? Yeah. So, there you go. Ava DuVernay, you're in the club of Ridley Scott and others. Steven Spielberg, same thing. A lot of great movies, a lot of crap movies, too. And the list goes on and on and on. So, take that as a compliment. That said, I think this movie is too pop culture. I Unlike, unlike whether you could take Lord of the Rings or any of these other type of you know, adventure movies, and it has its own score and its own feel. Mm-hmm. Here, we're pulling in pop culture music, we're pulling pop culture references, and we're not letting the movie be, okay? Number two, speaking of Steven Spielberg, I feel like a scientist from Jurassic Park. I was lucky enough that I've read the book, and therefore, I'm gene-splicing all the sections from the book that the movie leaves as far as gaps to complete this, this whole entity, Okay, and, and and because the movie is just, it cuts out entire sections. In fact, there's a whole portion from the trailer that explains what a wrinkle in time actually means. That's not in the movie. Where the, well, I'm supposed to watch the trailer for that explanation? <sighs> I know, I know. It's rare because usually, yeah. usually it's me that a movie can make angry. This movie made me more than angry. I wanted it to be good. I grew up loving the book. 
And the book is about a female protagonist, and forget the race and so forth, but one of the greatest compliments any author can get in their lifetime is that book was written for me, even though it wasn't. And it was written for me. And I'm a straight guy, and that's about a little girl. And guess what? This movie could have been the same thing. And it wasn't. And to hide behind this facade, it was made for women of color and so forth, I think is bullshit. And end of rant. I'll say better things moving forward. Can I ask how... I want to ask the both of you. Well, you, Marissa, you have the book right here in I front do. of you. Before we go, I, I know, I don't want to take away from going on our opinion, but how long ago was it that... Did you reread I reread the, it you re-read for this it. week. Oh, you did. And okay. the book was fantastic. Right. And it still held up from when you... It was the second time you read it, maybe? I, I've read the book like three or four times in my lifetime. I read okay. it when I was young, and now I'm almost 30. And yeah, the, granted, like... Could I wish it to be more adult? Fine, maybe. And, and the prose a little bit different. Yeah, okay. I thought it was too. You know, every line of dialogue was like uh, Meg demanded, Meg cried, Meg joked. So it, it kind of pandered as far as what they were saying and to, uh, to to get the emotion. But that's okay. I didn't mind that. As a book, it's got very good thoughts. It, it, it's very deep. I mean, Marissa, you've reread it just as of. Yesterday, right. we were so just 24 about, hours ago, yeah. right? Speak to the book, yeah. No. I mean, I've so I originally read A Wrinkle in Time when I was like 10, I think it was in fourth, fifth grade, around that age, yeah. however old you are during that time. Um, so I was at like that, that prime, premature teenager, um, in, in, in that aspect. So I like, I understood, hey, it's a little girl who loved time travel and and just like the, the different fantasy world and like the the awkward preteen angst you you can you mm-hmm, get mm-hmm. in school so like and i definitely related to that when i read it as a kid reread it as an adult it's still good the themes and messages are still there um that makes it timeless um and i completely understand where you're, you're saying phil that the film did feel pop culture there was a lot of new references <coughs> that would only be relevant in the last maybe three years compared to the last 50 years and when this book came out, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I think it's just, uh, the book has great themes and messages throughout, which I think the film tried to touch upon or gave us some semblance of what they were going for so that you can see the similarities from the book, but the execution is completely different from what you envision reading the book as a reader than what you see in a movie watching it as a film make- maker, you know, mm-hmm. film watcher. Um, it's just, when I read it, I envisioned things completely different from how they showed it in the movie. Right. Uh, you know, it's a, just speaking about the book for, first before going into opinion, uh, I, I read the book, I think it was about fifth grade. Um, Sounds about right and, for and, most people. Yeah, yeah like and, and, and I do remember... Yeah, I mean, I I, I enjoyed it, um, and but I think to your point, Phil, like when you're in fifth grade, but even as you grow older, uh, it didn't it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me at all that it, I was reading about a female protagonist. Hell, I didn't even think about it. I don't think about these things. I don't care so long as I'm drawn into the story. Uh, I'm in. Um, just just think about movies like Beauty and the Beast or any of the princess movies like a like a Mulan or or a little mermaid or anything like that i don't give thought necessarily to whether the the protagonist is male or female i i, I just get drawn into the story and that to me is good storytelling 
Over here, uh, as far as the movie goes, uh, I was looking forward to it. Uh, the, the trailers were interesting, and I knew it was based off of this book, and uh, I, <laughs> I went into it with high hopes, and it started off okay. Uh, I mean, it started off to a point where, A, I was liking the the kids. Um, they weren't coming off as being like annoying to me. I actually liked them, and I was getting into this story. Um, and then the movie just takes this turn, and I, then I just kept on thinking about that television show. Uh, I think it's Am I Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? And after finishing watching A Wrinkle in Time, I came to the conclusion. I'm not, because I didn't know what the hell was going on. It took this wild, wacky turn, and it became very esoteric in its color scheme, and maybe it was all symbolism, and like this was supposed to mean something, but I felt like I missed something at the end of this movie. And uh, whether it's a coming-of-age story, and she learns to love and forgive and whatnot. I just remember at the end of this movie, I was just like, okay, you lost it for me. That's a, you know, I, I don't know what 12 year old goes into this movie and comes out going, that was great. I loved it. Like I understood everything about what was going on in that movie. Parents who take their kid to that movie, I have to imagine that car ride home is filled with, what was that? Why were they there? Who was the man with the red eyes? How did they do this? Like, I have to figure it was riddled with that. But again, I see a lot of these esoteric type of movies. We talked about one last week. We talk about them a lot. Um, and it also bothered me to, the, to, to a point where we talk a lot about kids' movies, right? And I'm going to bring up Coco or, 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 or any other type of Pixar movie where it's a complicated plot. But yet they, the way that they lay out the rules to the world, as complicated as the plot is, like Inside Out or something like that, you come away understanding what is happening in that movie. So if people say, though, well, A Wrinkle in Time is unfilmable, I say, no, you just need good screenwriters to make it filmable and to make it understandable for, for the audience. I don't care whether it's today. I don't care whether it's in the past. I don't care whether it's 50 years in the future. You could make this understandable. It just seems like they cut something out. I, like I missed something. Again, they, they, they cut out too much. The explanations, for the most part, were there. And, and to your point, uh, when the movie started off, I actually liked all the changes. First off, her father isn't working for the government. He's instead working with the mother. I thought that was a great little change and, and could have worked really well. I, I love the inclusion of... The school, I thought that was very well done. Here's a quick fix right off the bat. If Calvin likes Meg, just have him staring at her at school. We get it, as opposed to him randomly all of a sudden showing up at this house. Because it is random in the book, but it explains itself. Like, he, the, you know, Meg, or uh, sorry, Calvin and Charles Wallace have, I don't know, Metachloria, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> at, at levels and cal- metachlorian. <laughs> it's a Star Wars reference. Uh, it's both Disney franchises. Anyway, whatever you want to call it, they have something to them that makes them a little more unique that perhaps Meg doesn't. It's within her, but she has to find it. And Charles Wallace and Calvin were both called to this place. The way the movie, does, I mean, this is just one of a couple of things, but. 
the explanations are in the book, and I thought they they tried to be here's a pop culture reference. They tried to be too much like Stuart from Mad TV, where he always used to say, "Look what I can do," and that's what the movie became. Look what it can do versus let's just let's just build upon this and make it good from there. Right. Anywho, and it, actually, and it actually for me it lost its whimsy and fantastical and imagination because it became so it was so done on purpose like mm-hmm. towards the end with the color scheme and where we're at and the it and again it's tough to come out and call something the it shortly after you've had a very huge hit movie called it <laughs> and not think of a clown i'm uh, not blaming them it's just timing for me because when i heard the it uh, but it's just It was very purposely shot to be that way, and it seems, I just wonder, it's, why did they cut things out? Because there were things in the trailer that I saw that weren't in the movie, and it just, was it a time thing? Was it, I I don't know. I I, I honestly don't know. Um, And I just had to say, wow, what six-year-old, seven-year-old is going to be able to figure out what the hell is going on here? Um, it was very difficult. I, and like, yeah. I'm watching it and I, for a kid's movie, I'm going, you got to do better. Marissa. I mean, I, I do kind of agree with that too, because watching <clears> it <throat> as an adult and we've seen thousands of movies between <laughs> all of us. So it's uh-huh. like, we know the execution of films and how they should be and watching it. Just the narrative alone, yes, the book, it is kind of all over the place, and they travel to different locations within pages of each other. That's fine. But watching it visually on screen, it was jarring in a way because they're going from place to place, and it just seems so disjointed that it didn't, I, I don't think it, like, transferred well onto screen. And we've seen a lot of fantasy shows with time sure. travel, with universe and parallel universal traveling to each other and it works fine but in this one it just there was no through line of how they got from place to place to place Hmm. well here's here's the story to me the book right it's it's about a little girl having to save her father who goes to a planet that just breeds conformity and in doing so she learns the power of uniqueness Hmm. within herself Okay, so th- that's all you need. And, and so when you look at that planet and that darkness and so forth, essentially it, it was, ki- you know, it, it was the solution for her to finally fit in. And so that, that should have been the central idea of like, wow, okay, here, here's something interesting and I could finally fit in for once. But no, it is my fault, my uniqueness that, that make me special and so, no, we shouldn't strive to be unique. We should strive to be ourselves no matter what. And, and that message just got lost everywhere. Right, and I think they, they made a more negative connotation of the message because I, I give you mm. your faults in the movie, in the faults. And I don't recall, in the book, they don't really call it faults. It's like, these are no, your they personalities. Do. Mm-hmm. And they, they do, but, but, but in that sense, I don't know, it was just but, interesting how the book pulled that off right which was but different. it's more so it's like you have to embrace yourself stop with the self-loathing embrace your own personal qualities that make you individual the individuality and and in the movie they made it it's like these are my faults i'm just gonna accept it right um and i don't think that 
was clear and vivid to people. Yeah, and and the other thing, too, is what the movie does regarding Meg is it sets her up that what's affecting her most is is the loss of her father. And I forget, seven years or four? Four. Four Four. years. Okay, so four four years. So four years for a girl of that age, I understand. I get it. It seemed like the adults around her were sort of kind of missing, almost missing the point. Like when the principal says, you know, it's been four years. There's no time, like, you know, there isn't an expiration date on how one may feel about loss and mourning and and whatever. But But what they did make clear is that prior to her father gone missing, she was a very good student. She wasn't necessarily conformist. or She was a very good student, was great to her peers around her, had good friends and whatnot. This one incident, the loss of her dad... So she became very introverted. So they gave an excuse as to why she was the way she was. I'm not saying she was to maintain that and finding oneself. But the person that she sees while in the it or wherever she was is definitely still not the girl that she was even close to being representative of back on Earth. Like, when she sees herself as the... She was more like one of the stuck-up snob girls. But she wasn't, like, that person that she... Like, it was just really weird. It's like, is this what you're going to become? Because you're being... You're going to become one of those snob girls because you're being so shut off? Like, I would have thought they might have represented that differently. Um, Again, I just felt, for, for, for me coming-of-age type of a story, uh, I think it just missed its mark, regardless of whatever your race is or, or age. I just, you know, I wanted to really root for her in a way, and unfortunately, I just sort of kind of got lost. Uh, I, I got I got lost in a wrinkle in time. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it started off as a Somewhat for most people as a passion project. No different than we're touting the book. A lot of the people that worked on this love the book. Certainly uh, Jennifer Lee who wrote it. And so you would think that that's sort of what would come through it. Uh, and there was, I don't know if you, did you guys see the the early version, the 2003 version? No, no, one, I can't recall. That one was also not that good. Yeah, but that was for that, that was, was like a TV, TV movie, movie TV that they made, right? Yeah, wasn't well received. Um, but I, the other thing I want to ask, because another thing, without having read the book in many years, there was a spiritual level to this book, correct? Is very that, much so. It was right. Yeah, there's undertones to yeah. Christianity, right? right. There were right, okay, which seemed to me to be almost again lost. Well, it was on purpose. And, and, they, they took him out on purpose because they felt like there was so much more in the world that was evil. And it's like, okay, you understand if, if you didn't take that away, if you understand the book truly, then that's the crux of the movie. And in fact, Jennifer Lee calls it a crutch. To me, why? It's, it's not a crutch. A crutch as a word has such a negative connotation when it comes to storytelling. Mm-hmm. You didn't get it. You didn't get the the the, the book, right? Um, and whether or not you know, fine. I, I I you know I don't necessarily 
agree with Christianity per se, but the idea that love is this ultimate thing and it can fight darkness. And the way the movie presented actual darkness and hate, I actually liked. I thought that was something that they succeeded at. Um, fine, you don't have to call it Christianity necessarily, but but keep going toward that thought. And right. I, I don't know. But Marissa, Marissa, you're, you're <clears throat> a resident. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, everyone loves... Well, I shouldn't say everyone, but so many people love C.S. Lewis. So many people right. love J.R.R. Tolkien. Right. They came out with some of the greatest stories with Lord of the Rings and uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. Love those books. Um, and the movies did a great job of also having the undertones of Christianity. Right. It's fine. It makes the film more whole and complete in the message being told and i i'm just questioning jennifer lee's justification of trying to take it out and ava duvernay is trying to say let's make this movie more secular um because even jennifer lee herself says if you try to stay true to the book i think you do a disservice actually i think quite the opposite Mm. if you stray too far away from the book then you're doing the whole book a disservice yeah and i also find that it's sort of uh, an important theme and topic and to go on your point, like you don't have to make it so obvious, but those undertones could easily be in that movie to say about the light and the dark, and and those can easily be put into a movie. And and you know if they're not paying attention, those types of movies actually do fairly well. And from a publicity standpoint, the, the types of screenings you can go out to and faith based type kind of things, whether you agree with it or not, it could be made to. Um, it, it, that also can fit into pop culture uh, it, because we see it through all kinds of movies. Um, <clears throat> so I don't understand the choice uh, of of not making it a little more relevant into the movie. I, I wouldn't have been offended by it because we've seen plenty of movies that have that theme. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes it's actually a good theme. I mean, those those well, themes are all throughout science fiction as well. I mean... The good themes, and if you're going gearing towards kids, why not? Well, the thing is, is like if you keep some of the undertones and messages in that, and people understand it, they can relate more to it, and they can actually understand the whole film as as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, if you completely take it out, like they did in this book, then it just leaves the audience questioning everything at the end. Like, right. what does it mean? Why this? Why that? But if you kept the actual undertones of it and you can compare it to something that you actually already comprehend then you can comprehend the whole movie as a whole right the interesting part to me is the fact that and the reason i brought up the 2003 movie is it was very much disliked and i get it was a tv movie so it's not an apples to apples comparison however madeline langle herself said the reason it failed was because they took away the christianity aspects (laughs) and you know she's she she's not with us today. I believe she died in two thousand seven. But take that as a warning message, and apply it to this movie. Why we make shame on you the first time, shame on me the second time. Like like you guys that wrote it. Why take yeah. those lessons and apply them? I I just don't get it. And the the strange part is, it was a passion project. It wasn't just Jennifer Lee's daughter was reading a wrinkle in time at the time that she was starting to write the script Mm -hmm. and so they had that connection and that bond 
therefore, it baffles me of how, where did this go wrong? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, like, what's her justification of staying too far away from the book to make it feel like this is actually going to be really good? Yeah, and we've talked about book, you know, from book to screen. I don't mind doing changes, but the core values should, in one way, shape, or form, be on screen. And I just don't, again, you don't have to make this an overtly Christian faith-based movie but it doesn't hurt to have light and dark and those things in there either especially if it's a major theme of the movie i don't like you brought up the point like you didn't mind bringing up the school i didn't mind getting these little tidbits of meg's background like how she was you know the loner at school but again don't forget they did give us a very specific reason as to why she was this this wasn't a character Choice. It wasn't. We knew that her past. She was unlike who she is today. But but, I you understand? It's all this losing her dad. Her dad was her inspiration, and at that age, you sort of kind of get it. You, you you know you wish that the parent or the adults might try to nurture something out of her as well, other than having to take this fantastical journey. And but what she learned at the end is. I don't know. <laughs> Again, I guess that's where I was a little bit lost. That third act just goes haywire. Third act is literally all over the place. Yeah. Well, <laughs> literally. Literally. Well, let's start with the the catalyst for a lot of this. Sure. Uh, Mrs. What's-It, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Which. Mm-hmm. In the book, I mean, every article I read, they're described as celestial beings. In the book, they're celestial beings. But in the movie, the way it's done, I don't necessarily get that. And mm-hmm. Reese, the, the, the whole point of Reese Witherspoon turning into kale or salad, whatever <laughs> reference people yes. are making. Sunday yes. It's <laughs> because that's her true form. Right. And they changed into humans only to have that sort of appearance. But, you know, then they're on the planet Uriel and she can finally be herself in a sense. That, and but the movie is just like wardrobe change. Oh, so many wardrobe changes. I th- I mean I agree with that too because again this is another reason why I think like reading it is not what I envisioned on screen. Gotcha. And Grant, Grant, we have Oprah, love her. Reese, she's amazing. Mindy Kaling, love her too. She's fun. But and I think that's what also did the these characters a disservice when you put it's great to have. Well-known names and faces. Yes, it helps to add to the movie, but also it hindered their, these characters and what they actually represent in the book because they are so recognizable. And then, when so when you have big names and you try to glamorize these characters more than they should be or more than they were in the book, you're going to lose like the, the true essence of what these characters actually were there. Um, you know, their purpose. Right. For it. And I think that's what, with the whole different colors, I mean, with the different age changes and races, fine, whatever. Because I envision like older women who were a bit more wiser mm-hmm. um, that helped these kids along uh, on this journey. You know, I get that. And they had some good messages too in, in the movie, or like what they all added. But they visually glamorized these characters more than they should have been. And I think it took the viewers away from the characters of what they should have should be or well, what I, they represent. I'm glad you said that because um, for me, it wasn't like they didn't add anything. 
to the movie. Didn't necessarily detract, but it didn't really add anything. And when you said that they visually over-glamorized, I gotta tell you, Oprah's lipstick, I just... It was so damn sparkly and bright. That's the only thing I would ever notice on screen. I was like, Jesus, like you got to tone that down a little. Her jewel like, eyebrows really did. Yeah, and and like I didn't, I didn't get it because it didn't. I got to be honest, it didn't beautify her. It, I, I just, I didn't know what the point was because you're a celestial being. You wear a shitload of glitter, so that's sort of kind of. You're right. It took me out of the movie. And anybody could have played it. It wasn't that this isn't Oprah's calling it's card. Too as far as Oprah. It was very distracting. Here's a, here, to me. Here's how I I I I, t- I took it. I I can't say 100 percent certain that I you know that it was Oprah recent and Mindy's fault, but I think the costumes. To, you're, you guys are right. Didn't help. When I think of a celestial being, like in that sense, the way the book to me went as far as direction there's in essence angels right they're 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 guiding light for these kids to fight the evil right and they don't necessarily have uh, the whole point of their appearance is not because they care about their appearance they're just trying to fit in now they're so out of touch with the world that that they dress in rags and so forth had they done that it would have been fine and then when they get to uriel of like hey no we're just actually like our natural form is actually kale salad so uh, <laughs> that's what i'm gonna just gonna change into because i feel more comfortable in that right right see when i was reading the book i envisioned like the fairy godmother from cinderella like that sure. okay. like magical being a- in a way absolutely. supernatural powers still wise still quirky at the same time so that's what i envision and then when you glamorize it with the red hair and the pink outfits and yeah the the outfits were pretty and stuff but it's just they were too visually distracting that it takes you away from the characters of what they actually represent yeah i agree and and i didn't find them to be necessarily sage-like either Uh, you know i didn't find that they you know i felt that meg had to figure out a lot uh sort of kind of on her own um and then this is going into the third act. This is like a little nitpick thing for me. They gave the kids very specific rules. And like within seconds after hearing the rules, they broke the rules. <laughs> don't separate. Don't do it. And they broke every single one. It was like, wow, that was fast. You either are really dumb or you just don't listen. <laughs> like you didn't even attempt to try to stay together. Yeah. And that, that, my like, problem wasn't with the fact that they didn't fall. It's, it's that they made no attempt. Like it's one thing, like if they were literally getting separated, for lack of a better term, just to visualize it, if there were tentacles, you know, if we were the three kids mm-hmm. and, uh, okay, stay together, boom, where they're all of a sudden tentacles are dragging us away. We're like, no, but we're supposed to stay together. Okay. Right. No, they made no they, like physically tried to be like no. Yeah, yeah. they literally just ran <laughs> off like, every direction. <laughs> like okay, so much for the rules. <laughs> Shoot, where was I gonna? Uh, we were talking a, about the yeah, the, 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 the ethereal, beings. the gods or celestial beings. Ah, shoot, I forget. I just thought that there were gonna well, be. I think more. also it's like the environment that they were in. The fun environments too, and like the, also the like the different locations that they go to in the book are really out of this world, quote unquote. So True. like, can you get that too? But it doesn't add 
that much to the actual narrative of the story of where、mm-hmm. they're actually going. It's just the visually all around the the Earth and the the different locations and the different planet that they tessered to was more interesting than what the characters were.、Mm-hmm. You know, I think there were just too many things on screen that's like ADD all over the place. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, Oprah has described she they wanted this movie to be. The newer version of Wizard of Oz, and Wizard of Oz, cheesy as hell. It can be.、Mm-hmm. It can like let's 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 be honest. Like if we didn't have that sentimental value, if you saw it now for the first time, you'd be like,、oh, "This look too cheesy." However, it still makes sense. And when you compare the locations of Wizard of Oz and so forth, there's a purpose to them. Absolutely. This, you're right, Marissa. The, the the spectacle trumped what was happening.、Mm-hmm. Uh, the happy medium, you know, for all intents and purposes, we went there to showcase to Meg what the true horrors are of the world and why she needs to continue on. That took a minute out of a ten minute thing.、Uh, you know, like I thought for a kids movie, Reese Witherspoon, like they were gonna go off into like some unknown room. With the happy medium, and he was going to be very happy medium. Right. Yeah, and and you know, I'm glad you brought up Wizard of Oz too, because the movie does make sense. And when you see it as a kid, right, it's not even necessarily it's not even that you necessarily understand that by the end of the movie that you believe that Dorothy took this journey that it wasn't a dream, so to speak. Right. It's only until you get older that you. Suss these things out, but it still doesn't make the movie any less. In fact, it for me it makes the story even more, right? And all the characters in her real life are in the movie now. As a six year old, sometimes you might not be able to put that parallel together, but as you get older, you make that parallel, right? And speaking of costuming, like Glenda, the Witch of the East, here she's the she's so beautiful, but she's not. Like, over the top. She's not over the top, and there is still still something ethereal about her. But she still looks human, and she looks beautiful. She's very bright in sharp contrast to the Wicked Witch of the West, right? And to me, Phil, and it goes back to they took this story that can be considered somewhat complex, this journey, right? But they make it palpable for young and old. So that it does, it it stands the test of time. Where I don't think this movie is going to stand the test of any、yeah. wrinkle in time. I mean, the environments were pretty to look at.、Uh, like I get that, <clears throat> and I can see the references to Wizard of Oz because every location we either got something that moved the narrative forward, or we got a new character within the、mm-hmm. location, like. Scarecrow, whatever. If we're going to、right. a field, we get the scarecrow. If we go to the forest, we get, you know. The woods, Cow- the the yeah, the the cowardly lion. You know, like every place, something happened in that film,、mm-hmm. and this one not so much. I mean, we had the the flowers, which took up a whole ten minutes on screen. I'm like, that literally did nothing. All they did was catch him, and, It nice. and but like even the leafy green of the the whole flying thing, that's not the. Thing that you envision when you read the book is more like a, a centaur. They actually say the word centaur, centaur. which is like、mm-hmm. a celestial horse that flies, so, so、right. like a Pegasus kind of deal.、Right. So, just to change the physical aspect of the creature to make it more 
because this the centaur in the book is white, it's pale. Like right. they go into depth of how in detail of what it actually looks like. And then in the movie, complete opposite. Color, green, flying, completely changed the creature. It's just they changed so many things. Sure. Um that made it more distracting in a way. Well when they remember they were gonna go see Meg's mom? And it was after the happy medium. I thought that was the point at which we would actually go back and be like, okay, we've done all these things. Now let's teach you about tessering. And I thought right. that scene was coming up. I was like, oh, okay, well, this is an odd place to put it. But sure, we're going yeah. back to seeing Meg's mom. And this is right. kind of interesting to see what, what happens. Mm-hmm. And then, no, we go to Kamazats. I can't say. How do you? Kamazats. Kamazats. I'm pretty close. Yeah. And we go there, and and a, a lot of people, in terms of tweets and so forth that I'm seeing, are identifying that it just kind of came out of nowhere as far as what what tessering. Like first off, we never explain what it is, and so no. the fact that if she thinks of something different, it can alter where they go. So it it, it changes the rules that were never explained to begin with. Um, I want to take one quick moment, if you'll allow me. The book contains 12 chapters. Each chapter leads to a certain thing. So in essence, 12 major moments. And I think when you talk about it's so hard to translate this book into a movie, I say horseshit. Well, that's what I, yeah. Yeah. Okay, chapter one. We meet Mrs. What's It? Well, what's that really about? It's about the fact that, hey, there's a chance to save your father and we may do it. Boom. That's number one. Number two, we meet Mrs. Who. It's not really mo- about Mrs. Who. It's now, okay, Calvin's getting integrated into this, and he's going to have an integral part to play. Boom. Mrs. Witch. Now we're off on our adventure. Uh, the Black Thing. That's the fourth chapter. Okay, we learn about what is in opposition of us. Five. We learn how the rules of the Tesseract. Great. Uh, six. We meet the happy medium. Why? Well, because we need to find the balance of, okay, what we're strategizing and so forth. Then... Uh, the the rest of the chapters, in essence, are on Kamazots. Um, the things that they encountered throughout all these places. Yeah. yeah. So half the book is kind of setting up things, and then the rest of the time we're there. And as an overall structure, it's very simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, look at the, again. Look at to who the book was written for, right? But again, I argue that. The book is written for kids to enjoy with their parents because, as an as an adult, you've both read it right now, right? Yeah. You're not saying that the book is very. You're not saying it's so childlike, right? No. Yeah. You still enjoy it. So, unfortunately, the movie parents would take it, and I just I, I if you hadn't read the book, uh, I just think you could be lost. I think they really missed the boat. In doing that, in setting setting the rules of the world up, and it's like we've been reiterating. I don't think it's unfilmable in today's world. If particularly when you look at what Pixar's done with things that really should be unfilmable as far as an explanation standpoint, but if they're able to do it very very well in movies like Coco, how come a screenwriter can't do it very well here to explain the rules? Now, to the other thing that's going on with Disney and Marvel property, when I heard Tesseract, all I kept on thinking about was that little box. The box. That's in the Avengers. Good Lord. <laughs> that's all I kept on thinking about. I know. Again, 
I know it's in the book, <laughs> but it, it's well, they didn't really do a good job explaining this tesseract and tessering. And I only got that Meg has this ability in her and that she is so strong that even when they were trying to go back to Earth, she pulled everybody to um, the, 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 the final planet or world where her dad was. Dad Ka- 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 uh, Juliet, do me a Ka- favor. Ka- Juliet is our engineer. Juliet, uh, find the trailer. And there's a scene. Uh, I, 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 it's in the book. And mm-hmm. in the trailer, it's word for word from the book. And rather than me quote it, I want you guys, so you guys like don't think I'm full of crap. And my hate. <laughs> Just find me that moment. But it's to set it up. It's the whole ant scene. Yes. Yeah. So as a visual cue, Juliet, when you look for this, uh, you'll see Meg holding a string with an ant on it. Okay? So that'll it, be our it, cue. Was um, Zach Galifianakis in that scene as well? Because I thought no, he was in more no. scenes too. No, no. He was yeah. always just in that one scene. Yeah, and that could have gone away. Like, I didn't need that and That was either. like 10 minutes on screen. Yeah. Too. It's like, oh, she's trying to find balance in her life. <laughs> was you know, aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> Again. Um, I mean, I appreciate the visual. I liked how they changed the visual aspect that the happy medium's always trying to find the balance. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's, um, okay, here we go. I think this is it. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, rewind it just back a bit. And, you know, pull up that sound so we hear it and play just it when you're ready. This is the actual just explanation. But we got to hear it. We got to hear it. I know you're trying to be meta where we don't get it in the movie, but we got to get it here. Then how about we go and find him? Let's go. That's right. Let's go. right. It really is possible. This is my favorite planet in the entire galaxy. Coming up on it. There's our pop culture music. Who are you? We are in search of warriors. Your father has done an extraordinary thing, but he may be in danger. And I appreciate that how they switched that up. We believe he is, and the only one who can find him is you. You're kidding. Where's the part, Do though? I I'm kidding. A little. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. We're, we're no, no, no. Wait, wait. Go back. Where, where's go my ants? Ant. <laughs> where's my ants? You missed the ants. The whole point of the thing was the ants. Now people think I'm crazy. But you can do it. The whole explanation. It it was not as direct as the trailer. It could be the first trailer. Instantaneously. It might not be in this trailer. You go back like ten seconds. You must really miss him. More than anything. There you go. Yes. Anyway, the the straightest the the straightest distance between two points is not a line. Right. Yeah. It's a wrinkle. It's a wrinkle that get these two points together. Yes. And there's the whole explanation. They showed it visually, but not as direct. It was in, behind in somebody. In the presentation behind them. It was like, so if you weren't paying attention to what they were saying, and you actually paid attention to what was playing behind them, then you can visually understand what's happening and the whole bend and wrinkle in time. Yeah, well, I mean... But it I'm wasn't just, spoon-fed to us. It's Well, there have been a couple of science fiction movies that have done this, and Interstellar was one that oh, yeah. comes to mind most recently where, you know... Draws the line on a piece of paper, then he folds the paper and you punch the punch pencil it. through. And he goes, In there, if you can fold time and space or fold space some way, you can get from point A to B in you know a fraction of the time than if you're going the same way. I didn't find that explanation here, but I, what it, I didn't know what tessering was like, you think mm-hmm. it and you can do it, I guess. Teleportation, I, you guys. 
that well, is the but their main idea. I understand the whole thing, but what? So now that she can do this any time, like there were no rules set up as to what tessering really is. Her father may have invented it, found out about it. And that's the other thing regarding her father's disappearance. I forget again, please remind me in the book. Is there a part in the book where he disappears? He does, but yeah. it's because of the government. It's because of the government. As so, opposed to this. And here's the thing I actually didn't mind. I have, I, as far as Interstellar, uh, you know, the whole notion for testering there is this idea of love. Mm-hmm. And it didn't quite work uh, in that movie. I mean, I'd have to revisit it, but but at least it was more honest and, and you can kind of get it than this movie. And it, to me, a wrinkle in time is a mix between Inception and Interstellar, and it actually could have been it from Christopher Nolan directing it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. As crazy as that sounds. Well, he's got different parallel mm-hmm. universes happening at the same time. Uh, and I, th- I think it's like... No, we don't have to be spoon-fed because we've seen enough films to understand eventually what they were doing. They were transporting themselves to different places. Um, Yeah, we got that. But also throughout the film, you're just trying to figure out what the heck they're actually doing because she blinks and then she wakes up on the ground somewhere else. She blinks again and she's in another location. They're like, you don't test her very well. I'm like, what the hell did she do? Yeah, well, that's <laughs> like, the thing. What did she not they, do? They did not to, set up to, the rules. So like, and then I get we were eventually going to get a moment where like, oh, we're actually going to see her successfully test her. And then when we got to that, I was like, oh, it's just visually going through like fabrics of space and time. I get it. Literally on screen. But yeah. even like a simple explanation, like Peter Pan, right? Um, all you have to do is fairy dust and think happy thoughts and you'll fly. fly. Like, all you have to do is, we'll, we'll pick the destination. All you have to do is think the happy thoughts. Go. Yep. Ah, uh, you weren't thinking happy thoughts, were you? You're a bad tester. Yeah, well, right, exactly. Again. And, and like, there was another moment where, like, they're trying to, I think they made it too complicated for us to figure out, you have to do X, Y, and Z before you can test her. And it's like, you have to think about love before you can find the wrinkle. And then once you're in the wrinkle, then you have to do this when you test her. I'm like, what? There, there were just, there were so many rules that they had to go through while going through a process that's supposedly only supposed to take you in a blink of an eye. And they weren't, I, I didn't find that they were properly explained. Like, they didn't set the rules up of this world very well. So, literally, by the time you do get to that third act, where everything is just all over the place, and it just, um, yeah, well, it, they, they missed an opportunity, uh, and I think they took maybe too much out of the book, and maybe they were afraid of having too much too much exposition, that maybe the kids would have fallen asleep through it, but again, I just go back to, to, to the Pixar model, you can do exposition in a very visual and dialogue way in which people are going to pay attention so that by the time you get to the, your, your, your point, your audience has been educated. So when it happens, they don't go, well, wait, what's going on here? They go, oh, yeah, they were talking about this. And they could have, they could have set that up quite easily. And to your point, yes, Chris Nolan sets that up a lot in Inception, right? This heavy stuff, and those are live action. They could have done it here without having it be as heady. Yeah. Well, let's, mm. let, let's let's talk about Kazama. Ka, so <laughs> we go here, and this is the planet of all evil, and uh, Kamazots. Kamazots. <laughs> Kamazots. Instead of Camelot. Yeah, it's uh, Kamazots. And so 
the whole I, I didn't understand this the the them eating the food yes it happens in the book and it's whatever it's poisoned or it draws them in and much like Charles Wallace you know he's like it tastes like sand it's but then as far as the multiplication tables and they're they're in a standoff the whole point was that the man with the red eyes was trying to mesmerize him and in order to they were they were trying to make them into singular beings much like the children bouncing the ball and so forth and the way to combat that is to be unique and artistic so uh in in the book calvin recites the gettysburg address um charles wallace he recites uh some poems or something i forget um and then meg learns through that of oh that's how i resist it Mm -hmm. and uh <laughs> well, again, I was lost flat. at. I go, well, geez, that's you just need multiplication tables by factors of two to hypnotize the kid. That's all you got to do. Just well, two times fine. three is six. <laughs> four times two is four. four but he didn't fight back. No, he regardless didn't. He of like, that, he did not fight no, back. He that just stood up and goes, yeah. yeah, he was just repeating. And I'm like going, whoa, wait, what's going on here? Like, I didn't understand what was happening and why. It was happening, and what, what what's what's you know, like? He was the only one that figured out that they weren't really eating food, and we knew that there was a trap because they were trying to. Uh, when they were in the neighborhood, uh, the Stepford Wives neighborhood, which uh, apparently uh, a, a guest who's been on our show, that's actually his neighborhood. His house is in the movie Paul from the Coast Guard, <laughs> but. You understood because they were calling everybody in for supper, and there's a line. It's like, oh, we've cooked great food for you. Come on in. And they, they resisted that just fine. <laughs> I guess they just wanted to eat by the seaside. Well, yeah, like, and I was just questioning Charles Wallace because, like, he is obviously, and they, they kept saying it, he's the smartest one out of all of them. He's mm-hmm. the one who's more aware of what they're actually freaking doing. And then he's the first one to be aware of the food that they're eating is not actual food, mm-hmm. it's sand. But then, Two seconds later, he becomes the first one to get so-called turned. He and was the very first one to get You think he'd turned. be the actual, the the least vulnerable one to get turned when I mean, he's the one who's actually aware of everything going on. You think it'd be Meg and Kelvin who would be the more vulnerable ones to get? Well, you know? well I would have thought it would have been Meg and Charles Wallace would be like, Meg, no, don't listen, like because right. he's the one that could figure out that the food is not food; it's exactly. sand. And, it's like, it's, like it's, it's ironic that by... he's the one who got turned. Yeah, and it wasn't it, like it he was, was a... asked to figure out pie. Yeah. He was doing factors of two. Well, and that, that's what the, it was a huge misstep because you're right, Marissa. But what I appreciate about the book is you would think that he's the the most likely one to resist, but it's his arrogance, and and I think that's a very cautionary tale of pride comes before the fall. He he thought he could just resist all of this and and take them into be so bullheaded and 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 just find their father. And that Meg was the weakest link, and she kind of just went on this journey, and that's what makes him be the most one to, to be able to be turned first is because yeah, he is so obviously arrogant, and his genius is um, uh, whatever uh, qualities. His yeah. genius, what do, you, what do you call it? For um, uh, when he betrays him. Prodigy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. His his intelligence betrays him, but also just. Again, with the execution of this character. First of all, this kid, awesome. He was the best part of this whole movie. Like, I think he was better than Storm Reed. He was adopted, right? 
In real life? or No, no in like, the movie. No, in the movie, he was adopted. In the book, he's not. But where do they say that? Yeah, they said at the beginning. Oh, did they? I think yeah, I'm, like, I'm sorry. They I dropped like that. one quick line of him mm-hmm. being adopted. But, it, I mean, it's so clearly obvious. Fine, whatever. I knew that. That's, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. But, uh, like, in the book, it was more, I, I envisioned, like, a little kid more hypnotized and against his will. Not demonic, possessive, exorcist, let's get the it out of this kid that we saw on screen. They took him over the top. Good, great performance, but holy shit, it, it's not as crazy as it was in the book. See, and for me, um, whenever there's like a little kid like that, it can go either a couple of ways. Um, it could either have the Jake Lloyd effect where a director just doesn't know how to bring a performance out of a child and it just doesn't come across good. Or you have another director who makes the kid too obnoxious and you just don't you just dislike the, the kid, male or female, right from the get go. And at the beginning, I was like, you know what? I was saying to myself, this kid's not obnoxious. I sort of like this kid when he became evil. I was like, yeah, now the kid's obnoxious. Like, I really hated him. Not just because he was evil. I just felt that the kid was obnoxious. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. He's evil. But this whole, like, he was possessed kind of thing going literally on. Demonic. Yeah, <laughs> he was. It was literally demonic. I, I wasn't buying into this uh, either. Um but, yeah, again, I had no problems with any of the children's performances here. I, I enjoyed it because there were fresh faces to me. Um, and, and that is, is a good thing uh, in Hollywood. Bring me new fresh faces. I'll get engaged a little more. Uh, and, and I'll buy into these kids because I've never really seen them before. I don't have much familiarity. And I thought that they all did for their roles. I thought they did, I thought they did really well. Um, you know, going back to Kamazots, you know, uh, I thought that it was very, for me anyways, what I f- at least thought was interesting is that um, the forests were, 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 were filmed in our Sequoia National Park in Northern California. And I found that that's pretty cool. Um, so, and, and the, you know, that was a great place because there's the familiarity of it. And then when you add the CG... Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes, you know, with the, the, the tornado looked sort of kind of cool and everything that they had to encounter over there. I really like that. I really liked how they make that travel and put it into an actual, like where you gussy up an actual state park, but you, but they still made it look unfamiliar. Yeah. The tornado is not in the book. And, that was, oh, I would and that's another thing that I was like, today. what the hell is this doing here? It was so over the top and like, granted, I get in the movie, it visually took them from place to place. It took them from the forest mm-hmm. to the, the suburban area. The I get that. Yeah. And it tried to explain, like, hey, this isn't something I should be afraid of and running away from. I actually have to embrace it and run towards it. I got that message, too. Sure. Didn't need it to, need to see it in the vision of, our, of a tornado. I, I will give credit to the movie in this way. In the book... This I thought uh, the the book is very deep in the sense that when they're at Camazots, um, they actually escape real fast while leaving Charles Wallace behind. Right, uh, and Meg kind of learns that 
she idolized her father and perhaps in it's this weird thing when you're like a little girl you obviously want your dad to be able to do everything for you and kind of get to this place like oh i have to kind of grow up on my own and my dad's my dad and he'll love me but he's not i don't want it to you know it's yeah the, mm-hmm. this idolization of fantasy just evaporates and so she realized she has to be the one to save charles wallace so i thought that would have been a little bit too much for the movie to tackle uh, but the way in which that they did, nah. uh, I you know as far as that it was interesting because I thought for sure that they really liked um, the the kid who plays Charles Wallace whose name is I'm gonna find one second uh, Derek McKit. There you go. <laughs> uh, they found him and they really liked him. I thought for sure he would have auditioned with that scene in particular because that would have been the hardest to pull off. Um, but in fact he didn't and. For the longest time, they kept calling him the sweetest kid ever. And he was like, this is great, except now I have to be evil. (laughs) How am I going to pull that off? So I thought that was interesting to to learn that. Um, Yeah, as far I I would love to kind of know more behind the scenes of how they prepped him for those scenes. He would be great. uh, I I know that they're doing uh, like a redo of Pet Cemetery. He would be great as Gage. Gage, but except I think he might be a little bit too old, but... I don't know. The evil part to me was it was more obnoxious than it was evil. I just wanted to slap him at that point. But um, I don't know. Um, back at Amazon, just a little bit behind the scenes, uh, the beach that was that was our own Venice Beach. It's never looked so clean. I know. <laughs> I Venice was, is I not was surprised. Clean, yes. <laughs> I was like. Oh, this was in Venice? I thought they would have liked But also the beach, it's not in the movie. The beach is not in the movie? The beach is not in the movie. Okay. It's in the book, sorry. Uh, it, <clears throat> in, instead of a beach, they actually go to like a very commercialized and corporate building. Oh, okay. So I get that it. When you go from beach, which is sunny and colorful and bright, compared to a drab corporate building, sure. Well, they go there and they go into that white steel structure. I guess maybe that's your corporate building. <laughs> um, so uh, it, with holes of various sizes. So here, here's something that was sort of cool. Each hole has a little cylinder with tapered edges attached so that light comes to a bit of a tunnel and casts shadows. Um, 22,000 individual cylinders with each, with each individual hole. That part looked great. But again, I was asking myself, where am I? What's going on here? And why is this like... And then I start to go, okay, why is this white? Why is the dad in this like mauvish, maroon, reddish? Like what? I was trying to... Then I'm trying to orange think... Box. Orange box. Yeah, I'm trying to think like visually, symbolically, what is everything standing for? And 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 because it's you know we analyze movies we look at things that way See, and I just couldn't figure it out. I was trying what to going on. Yeah, I was trying to think about that too because Who are you in in the book? It's he's stuck in a column, like an invisible column. You can see him, but he can't really see you. No, okay. Um, so like visually, that's established in the book. In the movie, I get why they couldn't find him because yes, you you transport to this new location, this new world. But then he's more stuck in a different tight corner of that world that you have to like go around or more deeper in and a different angle compared to what you see in a normal place. You have to go into the Z space to find okay. him. 
in in the 3D aspect. You go there's X and Y axis, but he was stuck in the Z space. You have to go beyond what you only usually think in a 2D box. Look, there's a picture. We have Venice Beach right there and no needles. Yeah. Venice is not clean, you guys. No. So, but and and I'm just trying to think I was like, okay, he's kind of stuck in a cul-de-sac. Really, right? <laughs> you I mean, have to was, go in to get him out. Yeah, yeah. And I was just trying to, again, just try to figure out. Okay, there's this color scheme here. Why are they using this color scheme? What does this mean? What from a spiritual level? What does it mean? I felt like Jack Skellington. What does it mean? What does it mean? And I came up <laughs> with nothing. What's this? <laughs> I was like, why is this? It was um, again. I'm not smarter than a fifth grader. I don't, you know, the whole representation of the buildings and so forth in the book is that it, it's corporate life. It's the most mundane, do as you're told. Uniformity. Yeah. yeah. And and I kind of got that. that but, but that's why the, it was weird because in order to entice people, like, I, I didn't think they'd go that far. The whole point of the book was that they eventually broke these people down. Right. So to take them on a beach, that's a very playful, placate to the kids type of bait and switch. Right. Uh, yeah, and it know. goes along with the message. Like in the movie, they're like, "Don't trust anything or anybody that you see." And then sure. you go to a fun location such as the beach, and you, you're seeing all these other people having fun like you, and you think you could trust this guy who is seemingly nice on the outside. Sure. No. He's not. Just because you're in the one of the most happiest places right now doesn't mean that you can trust him. Right. They should have taken him to Disney. It's not like they couldn't. I the, know. The movies made by exactly. freaking Disney. Come on. Anywho. Um, all right. So speak, since we're on production stuff, the, the, the home that they live in is an American craftsman-style home in West Adams, a historic neighborhood of Victorian mansions from the late 1800s and early 1900s. Actually not far from where I live. I mean, I recognize the entire neighborhood. That they were, were when they were walking it. around. Ah. No, I just go. Oh my god, this is. I I know where this is. Yep. It literally is not far. Like I didn't realize that the house. I didn't realize the house structure itself was like a real house. I felt maybe it, it was somewhere the, set. right. But when they were walking, um, Calvin and, and Meg were walking, and I, and I think uh, Charles. Was with them Charles as well. Was with them. And they're walking through the neighborhood. I'm like, oh, that's my neighborhood. Like, I know where they are, <laughs> pretty much. And then when I read that that house was on West Adams, I'm like, I could probably drive within five minutes. I'd like see that house. Um, it was a nice house. And yeah. I liked, you know. I really liked the style. Like, it was very light. Yes. It, it felt like the Murray household. Yes. Yeah. It was yeah. very colorful, you know, um, also going with just the color palette of this whole entire film. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say, too, about the Murrays, I will say about the family, husband and wife, I, I enjoy the fact that they were two scientists, right? But they didn't come off like... Pretentious. Pretentious, or stodgy, or anything like that. Um, they were Big like, Bang Theory, Sheldon and Amy. Right! <laughs> they were... I, I really they they enjoyed it, it, but they were a great couple. I loved when they were, it were they were they were doing some lecture, and after the lecture, she was like, "Oh my god, I think you lost them when you brought up." The, it was like, "Oh, do you think so?" Because they had conversation. 
They had like real like, you know, conversation and they were smart and and they used that to inspire their kids. And I, I appreciated that aspect of of the movie a lot, that they had common like a common interest that was a a, a through line in their relationship, I think. And it was and, nice. And, and I bought the small amount of interactions they had together. Kudos to them because the love was palpable. Sure. Yeah, I bought their chemistry. On I did. I yeah. bought their relationship. And even the way it was shot, I mean, I, I think that that was part of it. You know, him seeing her through the window right before he tests her and so forth. That the it, it just all played so wonderful. So. You know, it's not all bad. And <laughs> yeah. Well, going back to the house, though, they actually did film in the interior of the house. And the only thing that they really altered was, um, well, that they painted the interior yellow. And architecturally, the only thing they did inside of the house was add some beams in the living room. But that was only not to add it for, you know, for, for, for design purposes. But it was for um, to, to hide, hide electric to hide cables. <laughs> we need to put something to hide the cables up there. So yeah, I would have never known. Um, and I liked how they converted the semi-attached garage into Murray's lab. But what I liked about that too is the science lab. You could see it from inside the house. So the science lab connected. The family, in a sense, because they all enjoyed science, which to me is really cool. And being that you had that visual where you can look from inside the house and, oh, there's dad and dad can look up and see. I I really enjoyed that visual um, play that they had. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I thought that that was pretty cool. Absolutely. And it it was really it was really wonderful. Um, I want to ask you guys this. I have. As far as like the visual effects, since we're talking about all these various things, there was a scene that they redid completely visually based off of test screenings because it was, quote, visually confusing. Um, as Ava DuVernay says, it hit me as a whole, this whole scene, an exterior set. I want to take that out, put it inside an interior digital scene, roto out the people, and put them in the other scene. Now, I have no idea what scene... I never got that far. Were you guys able to a tell b? Did you guys find it through research of what the hell they changed? The only thing that right. I can think of is maybe the backyard because they the the backyard had to be recreated in an empty lot in Santa Clarita. Yeah, but they yeah. wouldn't proto that out. I, I think I, this was more of the fantastical worlds. You think so? I'm not, yeah, I'm not exactly sure which scene it is, but I know that Ava DuVernay said in an an interview, she, she when she started this film, she wasn't very well, well, well aware of the VFX. But then, <laughs> as she was going through like the process of what VFX can do and how it can change a scene or um, just change the production, she got a little bit more, uh, not to say snobby, but uh, she took advantage of it more. And uh, I think, and with this test screening, realized it didn't translate too well well let's do some vfx on it and change it do you think it could have been when they were visiting zach galfinakis i mean i honestly don't know uh, i don't know it, it I, I i'm guessing it was probably camazot somewhere um i feel it's probably like a scene where they tessered to somewhere and it didn't visually make sense of how they got from point a to point b 
But Toronto is not easy, you guys. And like, I love how she was just so. Let's change it. Yeah, she she was so like. (laughs) Okay. So uh, I I don't know, but like complacent about it. She's like, let's just roto them out. You know how many hours and man hours that takes to roto out just one person, let alone two. Well, that's how she became the first African American woman to direct a movie over a hundred million dollars. Yeah. That rotoing put it right over the top. But pay me a hundred million dollars. I'll order you know, it for you. I think there's a there's a common consensus as far as critics that the CGI wasn't that great. Now I don't necessarily agree, to be honest. However, as far as that, I, I did see its reliance on CGI, and I think we I think she needed to go back to her roots a little bit more and find a way to ground it and then enhance. It's just replaced. You know, when I saw this, uh, I saw this in XD, which is a a form of IMAX, um, you know, from Cinemark. Visually, the movie was, in that regard, the movie was fine. And and the vibrancy did leap off. You know, it really came off the screen. and, And I thought that it was represented. You know, I got all the different color changes. I was just trying to figure out why. Um, maybe I was overthinking it uh, as I'm Did talking. Take LSD. More, I could have. Uh, I don't know. I, I could have had an edible or something. I don't know. <laughs> or it could have been the Taco Bell I ate before the movie. I don't know. But it did, from a visual standpoint. Um, I, I didn't find that the CG was horrible. I thought that the makeup. I found that the makeup and the costumes on our celestial beings wasn't. That great. That took away, like we talked earlier. That took Order away. Took away oh, maybe it was the right effects. there. Can you back up? Maybe it was the wheat field. Maybe. No, I don't know. Well, I don't it, well, it was an exterior set that they made an interior set. Okay. So it wouldn't be that, I don't think. I don't know. I, that's why I have no clue. And Nevertheless, they changed a lot of scenes. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Because of VFX. My my problem really wasn't the VFX because I thought some of it actually looked pretty mm-hmm. cool, um, especially being in the, the different worlds and you can bend time and space. And so, uh, you know, you can disconnect yourself from that. But also, I think the cinematography was kind of throwing me off a bit because there were a lot of weird angles like mm-hmm. of how the camera was placed yes. um, and the framing of, of everybody. Because in the first 10 minutes when you're getting just... Just straight up dialogue from like the father, from the kid. They're like just framing wise was off where there'd be less space if you can visualize it in your head. There'd be no space in front of the person, but all the empty spaces behind their head. Um, and it's just their angles and the placement of the actors within a frame is off. It completely breaks the one third rule. It doesn't because just what they're looking at and the directions of where the cameras were placed. It didn't connect and didn't make that 180-degree rule. Yeah, and I was wondering if that was done on purpose, um, quite honest. And, you know, I did neglect to, to mention another movie, and, and and I felt that this movie was going to be like this. And we've talked about this movie and its sequel here, and I thought it was much better represent, uh, representative of its source material, and that's Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland, I felt, from a narrative perspective— even though they made changes Still to certain things, 
it still worked even in its sequel, which if I remember correctly, right, and not to speak for everybody here, I remember liking it more than we thought we were going to. Mm -hmm. But again, you are talking about a, 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 a fantasy type world and the way that it was represented in both movies, I felt. It was far better. I would far better than Wrinkle in Time, which I, I think they were trying to hope to get another Alice in Wonderland type of franchise off. But well, I just there are felt what that, five books at least. There's yeah. five books, <clears throat> so. and I'm not sure if this one would actually call for a second one. To be honest, I know. Yeah, I, I I imagine not. I would like to. I would be very curious to see the scenes that they actually cut out and the mm-hmm. moments they cut out. Because not that Batman v Superman, the extended edition, was like an amazing movie, but it was certainly a better movie. It makes it more understandable. (laughs) That's true. Director's cut. I just wished, um, again, even, you know, you brought up Cinderella and the live action Cinderella, too, from a visual standpoint. Right. You get it Mm -hmm. from a visual standpoint, from even doing the fairy godmother who. Again, this magical being, but never, it was the performance that made the fairy godmother. In this movie, I didn't find their performances to add or necessarily detract because they couldn't get out of their own makeup and wardrobe. They couldn't act out of that. Um, So, I don't know. I think that there were better fantasy thematic movies that that Disney has made. you know, and I think Alice in Wonderland is a great example of that world when you create a world and you set up the rules mm-hmm. that you understand where you're at. You know, in Wrinkle in Time, I mean, I don't know if if an argument can be made, you know, is Alice in Wonderland more popular as a book than Wrinkle in Time? I don't know if the argument can be made. But if anything, it just further goes to prove what we've been saying all along is that it is filmable if done properly. If done correctly. Well, let's talk about the music. Sure. Uh, because so much went into this. Game of Thrones composer um, Raheem Tejadi convinced singer-songwriter Say to write her first movie song in more than three decades. Mm-hmm. And the song being Flowers of the Universe that led to the tune, um, and it led to uh, the various soundtrack of this movie. Um, I, I appreciate the score. I didn't like when we went into the... Just song songs of the movie. Yes. Yeah, the diegetic music. Um, I admittedly at some points where the the pop songs took me out because I wanted to pull out my phone and shazam it. They were good music, but also it would be distracting because I didn't want to be the obnoxious person. It's like, ooh, song. What what what's the plank? Go ahead. I'm sorry. But like Alexa Day, Sade. She she's a great musician. Into fact to get her to write music again <laughs> like good for Ava DuVernay getting her to sure. do that because it's been a while I listened to her when I was a kid um, so like some music added to it but the, the pop culture I think hindered it I think it hinders it because we're in this we're supposed to be in this it's not like Guardians of the Galaxy no, no, no. where where you're using that source music to sort of kind of ground your fantastical story over here you've got these kids and when they're taking this journey it detracts because it's not it's not familiar music it's brand new music um going to the score uh, basically uh, you know Derve- uh, 
DuVernay really comes out and says she's a huge Game of Thrones fan, which Roman Jawadi uh, scores, uh, along with Westworld. He also did Pacific Rim, our mm-hmm. first, our very first movie ever. Um, and she just really liked his music a lot because it stuck with her. Like, she knows the Game of Thrones theme in her head. Um, and then when she met, uh, you know, he said he he got... Number one, he said he got the movie. Uh, and he had a very... He, he, she describes him, he, he was the loveliest soul to work with. He just really got the movie, she says. So, from a score perspective, I, I wish it had been... More, in this case, I don't mind if you, as an end credit, you use a song... That's fine. They should have gone all score. You know, look at it. And, and I know it's a trope, uh, so part of it could be my bias because we haven't yet kind of seen it. But when you look at Star Wars, when you look at Indiana Jones, when you, uh, you know, you want to be transported off into a different world. Right. And so you want to you, you just have it be instrumental. Otherwise, like what you're essentially saying to me is like, we're making the artifice of this movie known. And we're putting it right in your face. Mm-hmm. Because the the, I, the the songs themselves were great. They were very representative of the scenes themselves. But I didn't need a music video for the music to, uh, of like, you know, be a strong little girl. Like my, that, that, I'm not saying word. that was yeah, a, right. literally a lyric, but might as well have been. But also, like, it's good when we do have films that have like a hit new uh-huh. pop song. And then that becomes like the 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 main song of the film and people remember it by um but if you think about the other fantastical fantasy movies that are successful harry potter lord of the rings chronicles of narnia they're all instrumental right there's no actual hip-hop song with lyrics that makes you only think of that you think of the whole soundtrack and not just one song but i also think it's Part of that to me is the strength or the weakness of the movie. If the movie's not grabbing your attention and you're thinking more about the pop song and how... Because music, regardless, should be the bed and it should help move the movie. But if you're focused more on the song, then you're really not into the movie all that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just you, like right now, people disconnect. are focused on the song, not nothing right. what you said. Well, <laughs> as you should. <laughs> So. And also, just like lyric songs, they can be good, but also it makes <clears> a movie timely. For a movie that's called Wrinkle in Time, the story itself, the book, is very actual timeless. The mm-hmm. movie itself is not. Not at yeah. all. Not at all. But, uh, all right, you know, to me, it didn't do as well as it could have as far as box office numbers. And I know projection-wise, people were saying between 15 and 30 million. It got around 33 in the opening weekend. 15 and 30? When, like, when this hit tracking, people were saying, oh my god, this could be like Black Panther. This is going to be 50. This is going to be 40. 50%. This is going to be this. Like there were, And then as the weekend goes, this is what it, this is why tracking to me is fails just week after week miserably. When you report on a Friday that a movie's going to do 40 to 50 and then come Saturday you saying, oh, the movie's going to do it in the mid-30s. Well, how did you get that so wrong? I mean, come on. Like, you change, you can't change every day. This isn't... There are numbers out there. But I did think that it was going to do a little bit better. I think it would be interesting to do... I want to... Now I want to do a compare... I want to see how it did compare to Alice in Wonderland when that first opened. Go the, for it. 
<clears throat> sure, Marissa, keep keep talking while he does the research. Well, I, I think it's interesting because they are kind of in the it's the same demographic. It's Disney, um, also very visually colorful movies as well, and they were released at the same time because Alice in Wonderland. When we talked about the second one, that was like March, April of 2016. So uh, we. They're around the same time with the same demographic. I get that. But I think also they did heavy promotions on this film because they had Oprah, Reese, Mindy Kaling. There were spots everywhere for this movie. Okay, you want to... so much hype. I, I really didn't realize staggering. Opening weekend, Alice in Wonderland. Number one, it opened up on March 5th. So, yes. March 5th, 2010. Alice in Wonderland. Opening weekend. $116 million. It's Alice in Wonderland. Now, you had Johnny Depp when yeah, he was still so at the height. Johnny. You had Tim Burton going as well. Uh, I got to be honest. I don't I don't think Oprah adds to this movie. In fact, I felt... She was Oprah being Oprah. She was Oprah being Oprah. That's the, that's the <clears> difference. <throat> I was like, there's a difference. Sorry, not to go. Yeah. There's a difference between actors who really get engrossed in the roles. Gary Oldman. We just talked about it. Fi- uh, Darkest Hours. You forget he's Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. You get lost into his character. When you see Reese, Mindy, and Oprah on screen, you really can't picture them any different. No. Despite as much makeup and hair and prosthetics, whatever you use, they still seem like they, they're themselves as their celebrity beings, mm-hmm. not their celestial beings, you know? Uh, I looked up Beauty and the Beast, $174 million. Opening weekend. Jesus. My, my, my only my only argument as to why not to use why not to use Beauty and the Beast is because of uh, you know, the love for the animated film. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Alice in Wonderland is. I mean, the animated film had come out so many years before, um, but you did have. You had, I think you had better marketing for Alice. Uh, you did have a Tim Burton factor, and you had a Johnny Depp factor. Um, going into it, it looked really cool and bizarre, and it ended up being not a bad movie. Um, that, I think that's the key thing. <clears throat> right. I, I, I think everyone tries to figure out this magical formula. Oh, it's Rotten Tomatoes. It's this. It's that. No, you can put all the marketing you want. If it's not a good movie, it's just like okay, people will go see it, but eventually it's going to taper off. So also, and it helps with Beauty and the Beast and Alice in Wonderland. They use no names. For their main characters, too. Our main characters in this film are kids who are essentially unknowns. So, like, I think that kind of worked against them. But they also used Oprah, Mindy, and Reese to gather everybody and to go see yeah, it. But who Not was, for the kids. Yeah, but who was, who, was, uh, who was the girl in Alice in Wonderland at the time? She was relatively new on the market. I don't think she was... It's not Lily James, is it? No, no, no. she was no. Cinderella. She, she was she was Cinderella, uh, and I love Lily James. But here's my thing too, and here's where I sort of kind of felt insulted by you know for for the kids. Uh, Mia was well, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. and she was just sort of like nobody. But like she, she did she was, dramatic roles before. Sure, but well, it, people weren't going right. for her necessarily. I just don't think that Oprah, Reese, Mindy Kalen are going to bring in... There was nothing about them that was overly special other than their names. I, look, I'm not, names I'm not bagging their on their talent. I'm just saying... It, but, but I also find it to be very interesting that at the end credits, when we're getting the cast, 
they were the top billing, mm-hmm. not the kids. And I'm like, they're in the movie a fraction of the time that these kids are in. I mean, are there, I mean, are you really thinking that people are going to see Oprah, Reese, and Mindy? Well, I think that's they exactly are. what they were doing because the promotion, look at the poster behind us. Look at any Wrinkle in Time poster. If you Google any Wrinkle in Time poster, sure. you're going to get these three women before you're going to get the kids. Yeah. And I don't, here's the thing I don't necessarily mind that. And mm-hmm. to be honest, the, the, the whole the Wrinkle in Time was originally going to be called Mrs. What's It, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Which. So I don't mind that. They're, they're kind of the guiding light. The same way Peter Pan to me, which, by the way, uh, the kid who plays Calvin actually played. Yeah. Uh, Peter Pan's not the main character to me. It's always been Wendy, right? But mm-hmm. you just call it Peter Pan. So I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. And I think they are draws to the movie theater. However, right? Even you guys are someone getting lost in the argument. It has to be has a to good be, movie. Sure. Yeah, I don't right. care. Fine. Put them first. But make them good. Make the movie good. Yeah, and, let, yeah. and let's talk to a little bit about, um, you know, the numbers-wise. I mean, it opened up at $33 million. Not Not overly fantastic um, for an opening weekend. And it came in number two behind Disney's Black Panther. So Disney has number one and two, two movies, right? So, um, you know, as of now, it's domestic total, $44.4 million. And um, it's foreign. It's 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 domestic take, and and obviously it hasn't opened up in uh, a, a ton of territories. Being it's only done six million, so we'll see how how, how much it does as the, as they they expand um, internationally. So we've got fifty point six million dollars for a budgeted movie at a hundred plus, give or take, million dollar production budget. And they're probably throwing 150 to 180, if you want to include um, international, all in. You know, hard drives, advertising, and whatnot. And they didn't skimp on some of the advertising stuff. Um, they got some free advertising in Golden Globes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Reese and uh, Oprah. You know, but, but you but bringing up the point, it gets a 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which to me is a little bit high, but it got a B on Cinema Score, which is I mean it's okay. It's okay, but I mean the kids aren't the kids are not clamoring to either get Wrinkle in Time action figures or clamoring to go back and see it again. So that that that's an issue in forty. And and to be quite honest, watching the trailers <clears throat> when when I started to see the bad reviews, I was sort of surprised. This this actually this movie looked like it should have been a home run. All right, right. I mean, I, I just thought I I didn't think it was going to get forty percent. No. I really thought that this movie because I really was hoping that Disney was going to take its its time and care. And the other thing that really sort of drew me in on the marketing side of things was Ava DuVernay. She was so she was out there, but she was just. She was so endearing in the way that she was talking. Like even from 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 from, from day one, uh, from when they started filming, she was all like she, she was she was just she seemed wonderful. Like she knew that she was doing this, but you never got there wasn't there was no you never she never really brought up race. She never brought up this. She was just out there and she was so good at promoting the movie. It does. It makes sense, being that she comes from a publicity background, but her interviews 
were great. You're, and she looked very endearing, and like it looked like she was getting along with the people. And wherever they, wherever they invaded, she was great to the locals, and she just gave off this very positive, very positive um, nature. And and you, and it made me feel like this is the woman we need championing more women directors at because she gets it. Uh, she has been. It, it, she, it, but and she's done it great, right? I just felt, and so when this movie came out, I guess I was so hoping for it to be good. And well, let me ask you guys this. The final more. question before we wrap out. Yeah. Uh, is it a matter of sometimes just let for, your work speak for itself and just step aside and just do that? Because I think part of it, when when I see Reese, when I see Mindy, when I see Oprah, when I see, as you point out, Ava, and they're just talking about it and talking about it, now having seen it, it gets lost on me. I'm like, what are you watching? Yeah, right. You know, and in some sense, dial it back a bit and just let me see the movie and I'll take it for what it is. Right. I mean, we've talked about other Ava films here, like Selma. We went in-depth with that one. It's just she's a great director who can do good work. Yeah, maybe this isn't her strongest film, but people are already bashing her and saying like she should never direct another film. That's, no, no, that's yeah. not let the her be a director. Away. Yeah, exactly. Well, let her be a director. She is an artist. She's a creator. She can do shit. She made this film. Yeah, no. But I mean, it's also just like, yeah, you may not like this, but don't compare this to her whole body of work. Oh no, no. I, I think she is a solid director. And I had didn't really have a problem direction wise and I thought she really drew out good performances out of the kids, which can be difficult. But I'm gonna read something that I found now I'm not familiar with this 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 publication called The Federalist. Has anybody ever heard of it? I'm I've not familiar it. with it. I, so I don't really know anything about it. However I found this and it says Wrinkle in Time is getting panned by critics and director Eva DuVernay is not taking it well. Um, this sort of... I don't want to believe this article. Because she, uh, Eva DuVernay, according to this this uh, article, is being quoted as... You're, um, DuVernay is blaming white men who she thinks just don't get it for poor reviews of movies that are giving it a poor score on sites like Rotten Tomatoes. What do you... I'm hoping that this isn't true, even though she's quoted, you were the only Caucasian journalist of any gender to see it, understand it, and seriously uh, ask me about it. And she's talking about um, this gentleman, uh, Buchanan, uh, who who, who, um, reviewed it. But I don't understand why you have to make that, Rachel. That sort of kind of bothers me. I mean, is it only white people who, like, so, so white people can't talk about the movie even if they don't like it? That, to me, as, as a person who reviews movies, you know, I don't go in with a bias in movies because of, of the kids and the race or the, and or the religion. I, I, will, I will praise you. We, we talk about whitewashing a lot here. That quote, and I really hope it's not true, and it here's, just sort here, of bothers me. The thing is, it, it, it's, a, it's a hard argument to make because it's not pedo- your pedestal to stand on. But what I will say is, trust me, there's there's a lot of critics who aren't just white and who aren't just male that also dislike the movie. Yeah, there were a lot of female critics that dislike this movie, too. 
So, um, so it, it was just an interesting thing that popped up uh, uh, again, and, and again, it comes from something called The Federalist, which I've never read before until I saw this. So, fair enough. All right. Well, uh, there we have it. We could go on and on, but but we won't. Uh, let us know your thoughts, whether you agree or disagree, and especially if you disagree, I truly want to know. I, I don't want to disparage you. Just because your thoughts might be differing than ours in this particular instance, because we all seem to be on the same page, that you shouldn't comment. And for the most part, <laughs> that deters none of you guys. Well, but but the other thing I'd want to know from our audience, if any of them do have children and they took them to the movie, I'm more interested to know about their kids' reaction to the movie, more so than 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 the adults. Well, they you know. So if if you do have kids and they saw it, what was the discussion on the car ride home? Absolutely. Did your kids like it more than the adults? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. We have uh, we have a plethora of movies in our in our back, if you will, that you can check out uh, a lot. Selma, in fact, you to go check Selma. that out. Visit of Oz, one of our first ones too. It was Cami Martinez. Yeah. <laughs> so my former boss was in on Wizard of Oz. We also talked about both. Uh, Alice in Wonderland movies. Selma. So, right. We talked Absolutely. about Ava DuVernay. Yeah. And Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast and all of those wonderful movies. And uh, we're approaching 400 movies soon. I thought we were at five. <laughs> it Not feels quite like yet. five. <laughs> um, next week we're going to be doing, uh, what are we doing? Tomb Raider and we're going to be doing Love, Simon. So check those out. And uh, Dimitri and I will do a quick review of Red Sparrow. A little bit later today as well, so check that out. In the meantime, at Serafini TV for Marissa. The irony is not lost on me still. (laughs) At D Movies 1701. No irony there. And of course, uh, check me out at philsvitek.com. It has all my social media. And hey, why not? You know what? I do like the message of be a warrior, so why the hell not? Go be a freaking warrior. Because regardless of the movie, it's still a great message. So, bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.